Everybody, this is the Street Smart Mental Health Podcast coming to you as always from the Lou Fuse Automotive Group Studio. I'm Michael Wellington. Man across the table is Brandon Magnamy. Brandon, hey, how are you? Great, man. How are you? It is good to see you, dude. It's been. Uh, I was thinking about you the other day. I wanted to not go into my normal radio voice intro today because I feel like today's guest is going to be the most interesting life story that we've had on this podcast. We're going to talk about beating cancer. We're going to talk about what it's like to have to go to prison. We're going to talk about what it's like to grow up in St. Louis. And you, you, you think you're, you're, you're kind of the all-American boy and all these different things happen to you. Peter Benoit, thank you for joining us, sir. How are you? Hello, yeah, Thanks, man. What's up, B? Good to see you. Benoit. I like that. French. Benoit. Let's go Rocky Top. Yeah. That's right. Big weekend coming up for Tennessee baseball. We don't want to get into too far into that, but we're definitely pro-Tennessee baseball in this uh, mm-hmm. podcast. Right. Absolutely. Let's jump into your story. You know, I've been lucky to know you my entire life. Uh, you come from just an amazing family. Your, your mom's a teacher. Your dad's been in the construction business. Great people. Your brother and sister are marvelous people. I know them. We talked a little bit before we started recording today about your battle with cancer, which started uh, with age 20 or 21, somewhere in there? Correct. Yes. Oh. So when I... I was two years old, little backstory. Yeah. We were going to the grocery store somewhere. My mom backs out of the driveway in the good old-fashioned station wagon, runs over a tin sand bucket, throws it in the back because she's pissed off, and we carry on. We come home, and the ice cream man's coming down the street. Me and my brother are in the back. We're on all fours, scrambling to get out for the ice cream man. My arm slips, lands on the corner of that crushed tin sand bucket. And doesn't break the skin, but it swells up to a nice big bruise. Eventually, the swelling comes down, except it leaves like a little mark, looks like a birthmark. Never goes away. Playing sports, got kicked there playing soccer, got hit with a baseball, fell off my bike, landed right there on a, like a handlebar. It was like a magnet. So I went to one plastic surgeon when I was getting ready to go to high school, and he stuck a needle in it, tried to drain the blood, but the blood was all dry, so there's nothing really to drain. So nothing really to do there. Go to college. My junior year in the spring at a frat party. I'm sure minding my own business. And a guy right. <laughs> a guy comes up from behind and cold cocks me right in my cheek. And instead of swelling up like it usually did, it swelled out. It looked like I had, like I was telling Brendan, looked like I had a softball or two big bags of chew in my mouth. So the swelling eventually goes down. I come home for summer. There's like a little bump there, and I'm in college. I cosmetically cared about how I looked, of course, being a college kid. So we go to another plastic surgeon, and he says, oh, yeah, we'll just we'll cut it out and send it to pathology department out in uh, Annapolis, Maryland. But I don't think it's anything super crazy. So we go back the following week to get the stitches taken out. It's uh, I'll never forget it. It's uh, Friday. About 3 o'clock, me and my mom are sitting in the room waiting for the doctor, and he walks in with a stack of medical books, 
And I just went, oh, fuck. Yeah. So why the books was like a signal that like something was really know, wrong? Like he didn't know. The plastic surgeon really didn't know what kind of cancer I had. And so he was trying to show visuals with because he didn't really know how to, in my mind, he didn't know how to explain what because it was such a rare type of cancer come to find out. I was like the 200th person in the world ever to have this type of cancer. And you're so young at this point. You're 20, 21 years old. Oh, I'm freaking out. Yeah, yeah. dude. I'm yep. ready. To, I just want to go home and have a beer. Right. And, yeah. Cal, enjoy your your youth. Yeah. You know. Give, I'm, I'm my senior year at a fraternities ahead of me, where you know the sky's the limit. Yeah. I just want to enjoy my senior year, Fuck. and then robbed wax me. He says you you know you got the Mayo Clinics. There's a facility down in Florida. There's a good ear, nose, and throat guy at Barnes. So you know after the shock, I went away. We kind of weighed our options and i really didn't want to leave st louis so we started at barnes dr bruce hoey your nose and throat surgeon down there had done a case similar to mine come to find out but it wasn't exact so we go and see him and i fell in love with him immediately didn't i was gonna be staying here in st louis didn't care you know about anything else so his idea was he's just gonna cut my whole cheek out Take a couple tendons out of my forearm, and then the uh, some arteries and nerves, and connect that to my neck. The tendons would be one up top and one below, so it wouldn't droop. And then the back of my leg would go on my face, and as thick as that skin is, it just grows back on its own. So it would be one giant strawberry. Wild, crazy. <laughs> the yeah. shit that they can they, they can do. Oh, nowadays <laughs> I'm sure it's probably easier. Uh, oh. Yeah, oh, this is 25 years scouting. ago. Oh, this yeah. was yeah, this was when you were 21, right? Yeah, yeah. So shit. So we go back for a consult. Like the week he, the doctor was nervous because it's such a rare type of cancer. Didn't know how fast it spread, and he was concerned that it could potentially go to my lymph nodes. And once it gets to your lymph nodes, you're basically done. Oh shit. So we scheduled it three weeks out. We go two weeks after the initial. And he, again, explains, you know, this is the process. This is how long the recovery is going to take. You know, you'll you'll basically lose feeling in your right hand because of those tendons leaving physical therapy through all that. You have a big strawberry on the back of your leg. Any questions? And I said, yeah. One question. Is there anything else you can do besides putting the back of my leg on my face? Right. And he was like, uh, Why? I said, because, Doc, I can't go back for my senior year and them calling me ass face. I said, kill me. It's a very, very fair point. point. So yeah. he started laughing and uh, <laughs> took basically he took the skin and the tendons from my right forearm, put that on my face, and then he took the back of my leg and put it on my forearm. And so you're an ass forearm then. I'm four ass. <laughs> four <Yeah>. Ass <laughs> four. <laughs> All right. Yeah. The worst part of the whole th- uh, the recovery was brutal. Fed through a tube down your nose into your stomach. Oh, but the man. worst part was the back of my leg, the giant strawberry, because whenever they would change that dressing every four hours, the nurse or the orderly would just one, two, three it and just rip that thing off. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. I got passed out <laughs> a couple like, times because it just yeah, was like every shock. four hours. Fuck. Yeah, they wake you up and yeah, it was that was the worst part. Man, so a quick question for backing up just a couple of weeks there. Those three weeks where you're a 21-year-old kid, 21 year old kid and you just get randomly diagnosed with cancer at out of nowhere, and then three weeks until – what are you thinking throughout those three weeks before you get the surgery? You just – What am I going to look like when just I'm a out wreck? of here? Yeah. yeah, I mean – How uh, bad is it going to be? That would probably – I would feel like that would feel like years. Like that would be just miserable. Yeah. I was fortunate 
in the fact that I had an unbelievable support staff. Yeah. Uh, in my fraternity brothers, I, guys come from all over to visit me in the hospital, calling me because we didn't have text messages back then, calling me all hours of the night and day, saying, hey, we got your back. You know, there's because there was a thought about me not going back to school because I didn't want to deal with that. And they were like, there's no fucking way you're not coming back. You know, whatever. We've got your back. You're going to be you. We're going to one of the bars. You know, it's there is no if. That, that was what I was going to ask. Did Were they able to complete all the surgery before you would begin school, say, at the end of August that year? Yeah, and I pushed it. Yeah. Once I knew that those guys had my back, I put – so I was supposed to be in the hospital for 10 days. I got out of there in five because I was ready to kill somebody. Waking up in the middle of the night. I, I was fortunate I had my own room. So that was nice, but I just, I was stir crazy. Well, I've had season tickets to Barnes. I understand. Yeah. What you, mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah, season I know better stir. than anybody. Season tickets. And I was lucky, too, in the fact that I didn't have to do any chemo. Like, they went an extra centimeter all the way around my cheek to make sure that they got the tumor out. And that was it after that. Yeah. Done. So I went back for checkups for three years, like every six months. But yeah, after three years, he cleared me and. Oh, been good ever since. You know, it's funny because I remember it was three or four years ago. You did a bunch of work in the com- in the cancer community, right? Yeah. So I was. Um, you were given awards, and you. you I remember you had uh, a billboard about what you had achieved <laughs> uh, about raising money for cancer, right? So I was Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. I was a Man and Woman of the Year every year, and I was the 2019 Man of the Year. We raised upwards of, I think, like 160000 in That's 10 awesome. weeks. Oh, wow. And, I mean, that just, again, goes Incredible. back to my family and friends. Yeah. So I, my wife and I did a golf tournament for six years to benefit, make a wish. Every year, those six years, we granted two wishes. That meant a lot. So I, I tried to give back as much as I could because kids are the, I mean, I just they dig at your heart. You guys know that. Well, shit. you knew what it was like. Yeah, exactly. And you I was you 20. I wasn't right. You, you know, weren't. 10, you weren't like. But, yeah, but you were. But I. You certainly I weren't middle aged. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Kids. Kids with cancer. Sick kids. That's just. That's to me the absolute worst. Yeah, I mean, that is the worst of the worst. I used to. I for a little bit. I forget how long I did it. Maybe a year. I would go like every other month down to BJC to the kids' cancer ward and just try and visit with kids so they could see me and you know. Let them know that hey, I beat this. You guys can do it too. Right, but it yeah, it's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's, you don't wish that against anybody. No, dude. Yeah, especially young kids, like under ten years old. That's got to be hard to hard to see in person. Yeah, for sure. We have covered so much here. Let's take a quick break and come right back. We've been here for over 70 years, giving back to community charities, local organizations, and youth athletics. And now we're the official automotive sponsor of St. Louis City SC. We've been here, providing the best car buying experience to our customers. Lou Fuse, we are here with the respect you deserve for 70 years and counting. Smart Mental Health Podcast is powered by Birdies for Bipolar. Birdies for Bipolar aids veterans and civilians living with mental illness by using golf as recreational therapy. For more information, check out birdiesforbipolar.org. That's birdies, the number four, bipolar.org.
Welcome back to Street Smart. Let's dig back in. We kind of talked about, you know, your all-American boy background. <laughs> you know, you grow up in... That's my brother. You grow up in Baldwin or Chesterfield, and, and you, you beat cancer at an early age. You, you get into... What was the... Technically, what was the industry you were in? Uh, I was in the environmental industry. We okay. did uh, hazardous waste disposal, emergency response... Tank cleanouts, rail car cleanouts. Okay, so you're you're in this business for you know maybe a decade or so. You just talked about how you were the 2019 uh, Man of the Year, raising money for cancer and cancer awareness. But meanwhile, you you kind of had something else going on that led you to a situation that put you in court and ended up landing you in prison, right? Correct. So tell, I mean, I have lots of questions as far as like, you know, some of, some of the things that might've gone on in your head from an anxiety standpoint, from a depression standpoint, but walk us through, if you will, like when you found out that you had done something wrong, did you know you were doing something wrong? Did you, how did you, how did it all kind of come to the surface? Yeah. So it was, uh, I mean, obviously I knew what I was doing just like you, you do it for long enough. You'd think it's fine and rationalize you you haven't been caught so i must be doing something right so it's not nothing big it was uh october november 2019 when i first started thinking that something was up like they had 2019 yeah quote unquote caught on and just from stuff that i would see on the printer like a guy was printing stuff that was mine that kind of raised questions to an oh shit moment. Yeah, so 2019 was pretty much the start of my stress level elevating and I mean it went on. I was I was fired in January of 2020 and for wire fraud. In case I mean you can look it up in the paper, it's public knowledge. What is wire fraud exactly? Is that just it, fucking debit so, cards and shit? Well, I was I, I, I was taking money and feel free to, I, if you don't want to answer that, you don't yeah. have to. <laughs> I'll try to be as general as possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I serve my time, so. That's right. You, you <laughs> know what? You Nobody's again. perfect, and, you know, you, you put your time in. So, like, Absolutely. now my hope is that if anybody hears this, they'll learn something from it and, and hopefully deter them from maybe running into the same problem. Right. But. So they called it wire fraud because I was, without lack of a better term, skimming off of my commission reports. That money would come from the employer's bank so it was being wired to my account so hence wire fraud okay i mean it's good to know these terms you know (laughs) yeah i don't know shit about that no i appreciate that yeah Yeah. i do now of course (laughs) absolutely do so you're you're terminated from your position january 2020 and then what transpires from there a lot of stress and anxiety trying to find another job because We were living a pretty good life at that point, and then the pandemic hits three months later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, March of twenty twenty, the pandemic hits. Right. So yeah, there it was. It was costly on everybody, without you know bringing too much detail into play. Sure, but I mean, it's I I worked there for twenty years. Now I got to go find a job at you know my mid forties. I had a lot of connections, but because of my non compete. The environmental industry was out, so now I got to find something that I have no idea what I didn't know what I was going to do. At this point, did you know that you were going to be in trouble with the law, or were you just thinking, "All right, I got fired. I just need to find another job"? They came at me wanting their money back, which is understandable. So I hired attorneys, and my attorneys at the time said, "There's all that stuff 
it's going to stay St. Louis County. So Wesley Bell has a bunch of stuff going on in North County. He doesn't have time to mess with something white collar like this. So let's just come to a, an agreement, settle with these guys and be done. So we went back and forth for a while and we weren't getting answers. They didn't like our responses and it just kind of died for a month, like April, May type time frame. And then I got another job beginning of April from an unbelievable guy. We'll get into him later. So I get a call on a Friday beginning of May from an FBI agent, and I almost shit my pants. And then I call my attorney, and they say, oh, shit. And <laughs> that's when your attorney say, oh, shit, then you know you got issues. That was their response? In so many words, yes. Okay. Like, hey, we need to call you back. We need to make some phone calls. Uh, we have a conversation. They call me back again and basically say, we don't, we're not comfortable going forward with this going to the feds. So they dropped you? Oh, fuck. So they, yeah. <laughs> so they rec- They had some recommendations for me, but thankfully my dad knew a guy who basically came out of retirement to take my case over and hopefully guide us through this whole process. So we meet with him, and he says we immediately need to pay them back, no matter what it takes. So I cash out 20 years of my 401k. My parents refinance their house. We sell our house and downsize to come up with the money. How much did you owe them? In the mid six figures. Like hundreds of thousands of dollars? Correct. Fuck. So, yeah, I'm just blowing up people's worlds left and right at this point. So Nobody's perfect. Either. Right. No, dude. Yeah. No. And thanks for <laughs> thanks for sharing all this. Like, so we, we get the money fairly quickly, pay them back. Then we go in front of the judge. I plead guilty. And we're feeling like we've done a lot to where I'll hopefully get probation, which is obviously best case scenario. So December 14th, I think it was. It was a Friday again. Do the sentencing over Zoom because we're still going through this whole COVID thing. And we could have pushed it off and gone face-to-face with the judge, but we didn't know when that was going to be. I just wanted this whole thing over with. So we're sitting in uh, my attorney's office. We go through the whole, you know, my attorney fights for me. The assistant U.S. attorney requests... A recommends probation, which is huge. We all get a little excited. The judge basically doesn't like the fact that... So she asked the assistant U.S. attorney for cases where something similar got probation, and she didn't have anything with her to support it. So the, that kind of pissed off the judge. So she basically gives me 20 months federal prison. The fuck? So the assistant U.S. attorney's saying, "This is what we think it should be." You're obviously paid back the money. You're here doing your best, and they still they give you hit you with twenty months after that. Yeah. Oh fuck! I bet you I didn't see three, that coming at all, did you? No. Shit. I'm. You know, I had hundreds of letters written on my behalf from judges, attorneys. Oh um, man, what a fucking people in the community. Pretty higher ups. Yeah. And uh, people in the community, and she's like, "Yeah, it's great, but." Oh. Man. Uh, she was newer. I think she was kind of trying to set the standard. Come to find out that the FBI office thought that I didn't get enough time. So 
that's a that's another story in itself. Well, so let me ask you this: mm-hmm. How long before the sentencing came in to when you actually went to jail? So when she sentenced me, she said I was to report like December twenty eighth. I think it's so like two weeks. Yeah, and she let so you have we, Christmas. That's nice. So we asked for uh, <laughs> an ex- <laughs> we asked for an extension to January fifteenth, and so I re- I reported on. January fifteenth. So, which was I think again? I think it was a Friday. So you just, how much of that time did you have to serve? All of it? I got out a year, basically a year. Like, so I went in on the fifteenth. I got out on the eighteenth. Were you at a level 20, three? Twenty-two. Were you at a level three camp? I was or? at a, I was at a federal prison camp. Okay. In Marion, I don't. I think there's. I don't well, know you weren't on like twenty-three hour hold or anything like that. You had your in and out throughout the day. Oh yeah. So we I, we had jobs. We could yeah. Okay. Right, but again, my it brother was, was like COVID, so they got to hold you for 14 days. <sighs> so I'm in a six by ten cell for 23 and a half hours a day in the medium security prison. 23 with, hours a day, you're in the cell. 23 and a half, yeah. So by every other half <laughs> or 24. So there's a couple days. Well, so like every other day, they would let you out to shower. Um, they give you a book. <laughs> there, there was a little library there, so I read a ton. Shit. Okay, okay. Let me back up a little bit. So. <laughs> Let's dip into the mental health aspect of this. So you find out that you get this sentence. You know you're going away. You think it's going to be two years. Luckily, it turns out to be one. But, like, what was your – can you even explain the anxiety before you went in? And then – because I would imagine that if you know you're going to jail, the what-ifs or what's possibly going to happen are just off the charts. So what was the anxiety like before going in? And then what was the anxiety – like when you were in, and was there depression involved after you got in? Yeah, I mean the the anxiety level was through the roof. I bet. Um, just because I worry, you don't you don't know what's going to happen, right? The unknown is so yeah I unnerving. Mean, you don't know what. How's your family going to respond to this? Yeah, the unknown was almost unbearable at times. You just, I mean, I just basically forced myself every day, one foot in front of the other. The good thing was. I kept working all the way up until pretty much the day before I left. So that kind of took my mind off of things at certain times, but it always creeps to the forefront of your head when something that drastic is about to happen. And again, the unknown, like every day I would, I mean, I couldn't sleep. Tito's was my best friend. So yeah, I mean, you, you don't sleep, you wake up in the middle of the night and you just think about like... What does it look like? What are the people going to be? I'm I'm not a big guy. Yep. And I'm white. Right. So you're wondering whose girlfriend you're going to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that kind of that's a, Oh yeah, that's 100%. out of bounds to was, think about that. 100% that crossed my but mind. But yeah, that's yeah, I, I Yeah, without I, a doubt. So in you know, I'm scouring the BOP website, Bureau of Prisons website, and they they do give like a PDF where you can print off and read, and I, I must have read that thing ten times. What was that? It's just it's like for somebody that's never been to prison before, this is what to expect. Got it. And it's not even close, but it, it it's like join a gang, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is and it kind of gave you a picture of what the rooms look like, and the rooms were dormitory style, like cubicle almost open, so it wasn't like they locked. Well, they lock you. They locked the front door, but you can still. 
like wander around at night and oh shit with a whole bunch of other people you never met yeah I, it's just, and yeah Goodness. there's all kinds of other stories how the hell do you sleep you know earplugs i got really good at putting earplugs in yeah yeah and that, that a was a story the, about that yeah that was for the first two weeks so that was the whole so no the first two weeks well so i got so you go quarantine for 14 days i was supposed to get it my 14th today was a friday unlucky to me the computer system supposedly goes down <laughs> So I get stuck there until the following Tuesday. So I was there 18 days in the middle of the winter. It's an old jail, so the windows aren't exactly sealed great. Oh, man. And it's COVID time. So they give you a T-shirt, pair of almost like linen khakis, and some slippers, basically, and a couple pairs of boxers. Well, they, I got two T-shirts because they were running low on T-shirts. They were out of socks, and... I got I had shoes, but those don't smell good when you're sleeping in them and trying to wear them because your feet are freezing because the the wind's constantly howling through. Oh man, this and sounds like Vietnam in the fucking sixties. On my floor are not only white collar guys like myself, but medium secure like guys going to the medium, like drug dealers going um, to the what medium. So at Marion, there's a medium security prison fed. Uh, okay, and then the camp is. Like kind of on the opposite side of campus. Okay. So there's gangbangers basically on the same floor as me, and they create their own rap music at midnight. Just they sleep during the day. They create their own music, which you know, good for them. They get creative, but it's not exactly a greatest sleep environment. Um, <laughs> good point. Do you write a letter for something like that to like the warden? Oh yeah. Sir, How do you, yeah. He, he could get a complaint shit. box. Yeah, there's got to be a complaint box. Yeah. Right. Can you see if they'll not do rap music <laughs> right. after midnight? Part of me wanted to try and see what the uh, medical ward was like, almost create a an injury, but then, yeah, yeah. I mean, who knows, that? Then you don't the know. Infirmary. So then you go down to the infirmary, and yeah. then you get stuck back in quarantine for another fourteen days. Oh, it's yeah. everything's unknown to me at this point. Right. Fuck. So I have. I mean, I. The guy across from me, his nickname was the Russian because oh, shit. supposedly <laughs> he was in a Russian gang from Russia, wasn't supposed to be in the United States. He never wore it's freezing and there's probably forty degrees and he never wore his T shirt. He had a big old tattoo across his stomach that said like happy or cheers or something. Just this I mean so he's the first image I see when I I finally get up to my cell, and I, I almost just, like, threw up. And yeah. I just, like, keep my head down. I just don't – I mean, and again, the unknown is – Oh, I can't imagine going so through that. So I just, that. like, sitting on with this – so the bed is a cement block. Then they give you a – they give you a almost like an air mattress, but it's six inches thick maybe. Uh, a couple blankets – and so I just kind of sat there for a while, like, holy fuck, what is going on right now? I felt like I was in a twilight zone. How long were you in that position? That was the, oh, I sat in that position. Or in that in that spot, yeah. A while. A couple Every, of months? So, you, no, I was in that cute, that six by 10 for four, for oh, 18 days. Oh, that's the so, yeah, quarantine we're still part in of the it. Quarantine. Oh, we're still in that, okay, yeah. okay. Man, anybody fuck with you while you're in there? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You know, they, obviously they can tell I'm white collar. Yeah. And, you know, the, they, the... The gangbangers, like a, a white gangbanger guy was the worst. He'd like spit in my uh, cell and 
Uh-huh. Fuck you, white collar. You think you're good? You know, it's just stupid shit. I mean, I know he can't do anything because the doors are constantly locked. I'm sure the intelligence oh, should have been levels. yelling. The intelligence yeah, level isn't the line. greatest. Yeah. And you know, the the doors are from Alcatraz, so they're like thick chicken wire eye level. And then there's TVs hanging in the hallway, like 18, 12, 18 inch TVs, and they're on without volume, but they're on. You know, so that's how you watch TV. So your neck kind of. You're looking up, so your neck doesn't exactly feel great. But all these guys watched was ridiculousness. Like I cannot stand that fucking show anymore because every time I see it, I <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like it. I'm like, I'm, I'm, if I, I had to watch you. it all day, yeah, every I get, day, I get tired of it. Yeah. Quick. And I watched uh, one round of the. So it was the end of you know middle to end of January. So the NFL playoffs are going on, and guys are betting sandwiches or apples and you would have thought they had five thousand dollars on the line the, the you know the obnoxiousness of them screaming and they had, they like, had sports on yeah we i mean it, it depended on who was in charge of the tv but oh, that's cool that would be yeah that i mean i had some I mean, if you got lucky like sunday i mean it was during the nfl season yeah on Sundays, it, it was on. Man, so okay, so you're in there in that area for 18 days. Then, what's the real cell like that you're in for the duration? So the camp, it's almost like I kind of picture it almost like a firehouse where it's it's cubed. So cube with four bunks, and then a, a little separation of a concrete wall, and on the other side of that is the same thing, and then. Straight across the little hallway is another four, and then the separation wall, and then another. And then, so this is divided first floor, second floor, and there's probably, well, there's 50 on each side, top and bottom. So there's, it could fit 400 inmates, the camp could. And I was lucky in the fact that it was during COVID. So the most inmates when I was there it ever got up to was, I think, 140. So, that, so that, that's huge. Yeah, that's a lot. Of, lot of, you're not overpacked. Yeah, well, and you know the guys that have been there for a while would cut the wires above them of their bunks so people couldn't sleep there, and you know the maintenance staff would just get tired of trying to fix them all the time. So there was nobody above me. I had a, a cellmate next to me. Um, I started in the basement, and that was interesting to say the least. Come to find out. The white-collar guys and the more mellow guys, the older people, older men, slept upstairs, and then the kids, quote-unquote, I mean, there was parties down there a lot of times. (laughs) The guys that didn't sleep were on the first floor. So I I tried to get up to the second floor as fast as I could. Were you – you're assigned a place, though, right? Yes. So you had to, like, talk to somebody, hey, can I get up there? You got to basically find a roommate – or somebody upstairs that wants you, and then they put gotcha. in a request. Gotcha. Yeah. It, Did you get that worked out? After two months, I would say. Yeah. So you're down there with all the guys making toilet wine and shit, partying. Exactly. Rap music. In the well, and night. I mean, if you want something and camp, sound too bad. you can get it. WhatsApp's a bit, or not, Cash App's a huge thing. So if you want something, you can get it. Like, give me an example of what you would want that you could somebody would get for you. Cheeseburger. Like McDonald's, Mountain Dew, Cheeseburger Eddie, vodka, okay, beer. Oh shit, really? Cell phones. Cell phones are huge in the camp. You could get beer in there. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> learn something new get, every day. If you, if you get caught, you're fucked. I yeah. mean, you're going to a uh, low security prison. 
you lose the camp privileges and you're going to serve the whole rest of your time. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of the guys in there could give a shit. I mean, if you're in there for five years and you want a cell phone to, you know, communicate, play games, you're going to get one. But if you get caught with it, you're going to go across the street into solitary. They can keep you as long as they want over there. And eventually you're going to get shipped to a, a low security prison. Jeez. And, you know, if somebody, it's just not worth it. If you ask me, right. common sense would say. Let's get this over with. Just be here. Do, do exactly. my shit the right way. And get the fuck out of here. I mean, there was guys that got caught with, I mean, they're five to 10 guys a week get caught with cell phones. They go across the street. Summertime, 100 degrees outside. It's 120 inside those solitaries. They could keep them for as long as they want. 70 days inside there. I mean. Were there things that you did on your own or that the prison made you do to keep your mental acuity strong? I mean, were there, was it extra, was there exercise options? Was there any sort of writing exercises? Uh, what, 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 what did you, how did you keep your mind in there? Great question. Prison didn't do shit for anybody. Uh, so I started a journal day, first day I got there and did that religiously every day until the day I left. Still have those journals. Like what kind of, just to get more detailed, what kind of things would you write in the journal? My thoughts, what I did that day, some, you know, something that happened funny or crazy or lunch sucked, dinner was horrible, which is, you know, pretty common. Uh, just stuff that happened throughout the day that I thought might, so in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know, potentially writing a book. Yes. So, you know, that's in... That's what I'm thinking as I'm writing. What would enter, what's entertaining? What's the entertainment value right. for the day almost? <clears throat> Let me ask you. So you're not married, right? I am. Oh, you are married? Well, separate. Yeah. Okay. Were you married when you went in? Yes. Okay. That kind of fucked things up a little bit? Uh, yeah, kind of... without getting into too much detail, it didn't help things. Yeah. yeah, I'd imagine. But did you get to have visits from people ever? So my, my mom and dad, my brother and sister were huge coming to see me. Visits wear on, well, they wore on me because there's the anticipation. I guess there's the, there's an excitement right. value there. You can make phone calls. I did a lot of emailing, but you only get 30 people to email with. I got a lot more family and friends than 30. You so like make a list of 30. Yeah, minutes. and then you somebody doesn't respond to me, you know, one of my buddies doesn't respond for a little while. You know, I, he moves down the list, and I bring somebody in. Uh, Ivan James, who you and I know very well, would send me almost weekly scripture. Oh, that's and cool. And he just, you know, kind of pump me up and say, hey, you got this. There was a lot of people like that. But back to your question about visits. Visits were, at, at first, sucked when I, when I was first in because, and my mom will tell you, I, I was doing all kinds of things that she scared. It scared the shit out of her. I was, you know, she could tell me my anxiety was through the roof. I was, you know, messing with my hands, messing with my arms, and I didn't realize it. But she obviously knows me well enough to sure. where she could see something was up. But they were great in the fact that she never, she never cried. I mean, she cried when she left. She never did it in front of me, which you know, credit to her because I would have just lost it if, if that would have happened. But. My brother and sister, same way. They came up pretty religiously. But it you build up so much energy because you want to make them feel like you're doing okay and not to worry about you. Exactly. what I was. That's why I asked. And then you yeah. get back to your cell and you're just yeah. like, holy fuck. Yeah, so it is actually. It's, it's mentally draining. Huge. My brother yeah. would tell us the same shit whenever we'd go visit him. Like he, he would, it would really be hard for him to 
put on that. Oh yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, we're doing just whatever. No big deal. Like you'd have to put on that act. Yeah. To make sure you don't worry. Yeah. Your, your and towards parents. the end, that's stressful, man. It just adds to what towards you're the end. With. It got to be better because I mean, my whole thing when I was in was I'm gonna be the nicest guy possible because people are gonna hate me because I'm white collar and I'm white. So every time I pass somebody in the hall, I would say, "Hey, how you doing?" And if they didn't answer me, I would say it louder. And if somebody said, fine, I'm like, no, really, how are you? And, I, and that was my thing. And guys grew to that. And I had a lot of conversations with people who I never thought I'd have in a million years just about something going on at home. And you know, they were just happy that somebody took the time to ask them that question. You guys mentioned this mm-hmm. numerous times in your podcast. So that was my big thing. There was one guy, black guy, who just looked meaner than shit. It probably took four months before he said a word to me. And still, I mean, super sketchy, but everything, he was on the second floor when I, and I would see him constantly. Hey, what's up? Hey, how you doing? Hey, T, what's up? How you doing? Never said a word. And I mean, there was a point where I thought he was just one day going to come in my cell and just beat my ass. Right. I mean, that's stuff that you, that's stuff that you just, you eventually learn how to deal with. Sure. To go back to your question. So you did the journaling. I did the journaling. Um, Yeah. I didn't mean to get us off track. No, no, it's good. I just, this is a fascinating (laughs) shit. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many different avenues we, you could go with me. But you did the journaling on your own, right? It wasn't like they oh, yeah. suggested it. Right? And my biggest fear, not my big, but I was always afraid some asshole was going to come try and steal it, and then they would read it. So a big thing was trying to keep it hidden. Yeah. And I eventually got a good cellmate where I, you know, I trusted him, and I and he was he was built white guy, but he worked out twice a day. And people were afraid of him. And so I knew if anybody ever came into our cube, he'd, you know, scare him off. Yeah, so I did the journaling, and then I walked three to five miles every day. Awesome. On a track, uh, regardless. So they had that. They had a track. They track, had a workout. Yeah, and we played softball when the weather was nice. That was cool. You know, um, let me say something real quick, Pete, because what you just said there is so important for anybody that ever hears this podcast, right? You were in undoubtedly – the most anxiety-ridden slash depressive situation, right? You're in jail. Can't do anything about it, right? right? And you just said one of the things you did to get through is you walk three to five miles a day. If more people in this world would walk <laughs> three to five miles a day in regular life outside of jail, right. I mean, it would just oh, be so yeah. much better. Well, and, and again, this goes back to your guys. I listen to you guys religiously. You guys are doing a great job. But this oh, goes thanks. back, and Michael's going to toot his horn. But So they give you an MP3. Music was the big thing. Oh, what do you I know? Was waiting for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> waiting. For I knew you guys would be proud to hear that. Oh, yeah, we're waiting on it. You get a little MP3 player and you download it through the computer system. Of course, you got to pay for the songs because you know, God forbid, the government can't make money. <laughs> but I mean, I just loaded my MP3 with Christian songs, old school songs that you know that was all clean. Obviously, just stuff that would kind of remind me of my past, my kids, awesome. um, like God. I mean, I, I rediscovered my faith when I was, when I was in there. My, uh, not to get off subject, but my dad's driving me down. And I might get a little emotional here, but my dad's That's driving okay. me down, and he, he just he knows I don't want to talk. So we're driving to Marion, Illinois. Oh, and, you're on your way there. Yeah, and he hands me this book that, he says, your, your mom wants you to read this passage. It's called, the book is called Jesus Calling, 
by Sarah Young. And January 15th, day I'll never forget, basically just like summed up everything that was about to come before me. And the the main objective of the passage was basically if you ever get into a frightening situation, you just say, help me, Jesus. And so I read it and got a little teary-eyed and we don't have to go into my dad dropping me off because that'll really break me. But I remember laying in bed, just thinking the world was going to end. I mean, I could literally feel the walls closing in in that six by 10. And I just remember laying there just three times, Jesus, help me, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. And it wasn't right away, but within five minutes, my mind switched to thinking about something else. And I mean, I don't know how many times I reiterated that phrase, but that alone I was like, man, he's back. I got him. I I left him for a while. He never left me. I got him back. I went to, uh, there was a Bible study every Monday night. There was uh, a prayer group every night at 9 o'clock. Did that religiously. And then church on Sunday. And you gain a lot of respect from guys when you, you don't think you would, but you do gain a lot of respect from inmates when you show up to things like that. And I, I was afraid at first. Like, I don't want people to know that I'm, you know, Christian. I don't know what these people are thinking. You know, are they going to think I'm a Bible thumper and, you know. Right, hold it against you. Yeah. Right. I remember I was reading uh, I was reading my Bible. My mom sent me my Bible that the Smet gives you. Mm-hmm. I still had mine. My mom sent me it, and I was reading it on my bed. Just one day I got home from work, and this guy comes up. He goes, you believe in that, dude? I'm like, 100%. He goes, fuck him, and walked away, and I was like, oh, okay, that was interesting. <laughs> nice guy. Yeah, pleasant. Thanks. I think you should consider the writing this book just about this experience. I mean, did the prison – I mean, obviously, they gave you the option to exercise. You said you walked around the track. Did they do anything, like, from a classroom standpoint? Like, what did they do to help the guys that were in your position that were in there? I'm just curious more than anything else. Nothing, yeah. honestly. Well, and I mean, they'll say COVID and they couldn't bring anybody in, but towards the end, that was not true because people were coming in. They brought a couple probation officers in from the St. Louis office to talk about what it's going to be like when you get out, and this is what you should expect. And it was a mandatory class. So there's eight people in the class the first day, four white guys, four black guys. And he talks about, okay, when you get out, your buddies are going to want you to get back to what you used to be. You can't go back to selling drugs. You got to you got to find a new path. And I was like, this was that really, really the case for you though? No, it just yeah. doesn't pertain was, to me at all. Yeah. And it so it was all geared towards these drug dealers. Yeah. It had nothing to do with me. Second week of class, four white guys show up, four black guys are nowhere to be found. We're like, I thought this was mandatory. And I'm not coming and trying to come across as racist. I'm just telling you like it is. And they, you know, if you're in St. Louis City and you see drug activity, you need to really think about jumping on a bus and moving elsewhere. And one of the guys raised his hand. He's like, so like you, you think that a drug dealer should jump on a bus and go to Baldwin if he's afraid that he's going to get into, you know, his old activities. And the guy's like, yeah, well, how's he going to get a job? He doesn't know anybody. You know what? What what's out there class wise? Oh, there's you know, there's uh, service workers to help you find a job. It's not true. You know they basically tell you to walk up and down the street till you find something at McDonald's, and there's 
my opinion, my experience for what I saw. So they gave you 20 months to start, right? Correct. How'd you get out early? Because didn't you only do 12 or 14? How long, how long were you there? 12. Well, how'd you so get out I early? took every class. So you get points if you take certain classes. And if you do certain jobs, you, you accrue points that help you get out. So, so I, I remember when I sent you a letter, you sent me a letter back. And you told me about your job. Tell everybody on our listeners about you had you had a specific job. <laughs> I had two right? jobs. The first one, I'm assuming you're talking about the driver. One. Yes. So my first job was down at the water treatment plant, and that was quite interesting. Wait, at, while you're in jail? Yes. So they let you in leave? The, at, at the prison camp, that you're basically they demand you to get a job. Probably sixty percent of the people in there actually get a job. So it, the, the water treatment is on grounds on oh, okay. campus, I guess you would say. So it's a water, it's the treatment plate that services all the water from the medium security prison and the prison camp. Got it. So I worked down there for a couple months, beginning of July. So it was you know, back up a little bit. So I became friends with this guy from Illinois who was the camp driver. He would take guys from across the street if they're getting released. He would take them to the bus station, the train station, to the doctor's appointments from the camp. If the guys had to go to a doctor's appointment from the camp, he would take them into town and take them to the doctor's appointment. Sounds like a pretty good job. He was get you out of camp. Or he get was you an inmate. Of, yes. And they let him drive around town and shit. Yeah, they tr- <laughs> so they, you you had to build up a trust value. I was gonna say. Yeah, and they they monitor you pretty heavily. Like you know, dude, just cars bust the floors it out the fucking gate. <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, we, did, we misread that guy. That's <laughs> all. But go ahead. Sorry. Well, yeah, yeah. So he he got hit playing softball with the line. He was a pitcher. He got hit with a line drive in his arm, broke his arm, and they screwed up setting it at the camp. So he was going to have to go have surgery. So he asked me if I would be his backup, and I really didn't want to, but I said okay. And he said it'll only be for a couple of days, and then you'll be fine. Well. We had a big meth outbreak in the camp, and the cops find out about it, and so they basically call us into the gym and piss test every single inmate that's in the camp. So he, the driver, can't pee for some reason. I don't know if he was taking meth or I, I don't think he was, but so they say you got until 3 o'clock to pee. I leave and go back to work. I come back for lunch, and... They change it while I'm gone to if you can't pee by 11.30, you're going across the streets at the hole. You still can't pee for some reason at 11.30. So he gets shipped. And I'm like, fuck. I'm going to get stuck with this job. <laughs> so I go back to work after lunch, and I come back, and the secretary calls me in around 4 o'clock that afternoon, and she said, I see you're the backup. I said, yes, ma'am. Well, you're now the driver. And <laughs> You didn't want that job? No. I did it first. I was gonna say, and it sounded great. And the first couple of weeks were awesome. Well, then they start waking me up at two o'clock in the morning without giving me any heads up that, hey, you gotta take somebody from across the street to the bus stop. And they just come in and they kick your bunk and say, "Get up, you gotta go." Oh, that's the alarm. That's the that's alarm. A- <laughs> kick the bunk. <laughs> and. I mean, it was great during the day. I, it was, you know, I'd take somebody to the bus stop during the day or the train station or the airport. And driving back, I'd just, you know, turn on the radio, put the windows down, and just chill. And it was it was relaxing stuff for the next 
20 to 40 minutes. It Semi-normal. So, yeah. yeah. Driving, listening to music. Yeah, Taco Bell. Yeah. Then I'd see some guy <laughs> by the pond walking with his kid fishing, and then oh. I'd just start crying. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, random shit like that. So it got old after a while. But then as I was doing it more, I got to know some of the cops, and I would, you know, go in before I went to bed and be like, hey, you get, is there anybody from across the street going tonight? And they'd make a call and... I I would at least know if if the if I had a good relationship with the the guy working that night I would know and I would set my own alarm and he wouldn't have to worry about coming to to wake me up and I gained a little bit of trust from those guys I think but con- not constantly but on more than ten occasions an inmate would say hey my buddy's gonna meet you here to pick up cigarettes or tobacco or drugs I need you to pick it up for me I'm like get the fuck out of here you're nuts <laughs> I'm putting I'm not putting me on the line for you. Of course not. So I, n- I never did that. But the guys before me, there's stories about guys before me that got that would do it and maybe make decent money, but eventually they get busted. So what about the adjustment when you get out, you've been institutionalized for 12 months, and now you're coming back to your hometown where you live your whole life, and how did you handle that, and how what was that adjustment like? Uh, hard. Still, I mean, it's still kind of hard. So you've been out a little over a year now. Yeah, a year and a half. It was hard, really hard at first. I I didn't know how to act. I mean, it doesn't sound like that much time, but when you're for if you're anywhere for twelve months and you're constantly having to act a certain way, you're constantly on guard. You're constantly checking out lefts and rights. You're worried about who's behind you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I still, like, when I go to church now, I sit in the very back row because I'm afraid somebody's going to be behind me. It's just, it's all mental, obviously, but stuff like that still is taken to get used to. How are you dealing with that? How are you, what do you, do you have, like, something that you've incorporated into your daily routine that you didn't have before you went in that now keeps you? Still journaling? Uh, yeah, I, I'm journaling? not journaling. I should be. I see a therapist once a week. Great. He, he, he's been huge. It took me, it took me three or four tries. You know him, David Stewart. Sure. Um, phenomenal guy. He's basically saved me. Not saved me, but he's been instrumental in getting me back on the right path. Uh, just super we've got a great relationship super nice guy just unbelievable dude and he he is one of the reasons why i'm back on somewhat of a right path yeah it i mean it's it's a lot of little things like i still i still do the music therapy when i'm driving he's got me and i try and do it as much as i can i don't do it as much as i should but take five minutes light a candle and just stare at the flame Brandon loves candles. I fuck with those. Yeah. I fuck with candles. And it's amazing how fast that five minutes goes. I mean, you do yeah. it for ten minutes, and uh, it's amazing. And the, and, you, and your thoughts just kind of go in and out. And you, after five ten minutes, you have a clear conscience, clear head. It's amazing. The Stuff smell like that. Too. The smell. The yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and Michael kind of knows me, so he gives me this idea, and you know, go, you know, go home. I'm sure your mom's got a candle. Take a candle. Well, I didn't go home and get a candle. I went to Amazon and bought 10 candles. So now I got, you know, I got an aroma for every day of the week and then some. But I love it. <laughs> my favorite. Yeah, this guy. Stuff like that. I'm surprised I mean, you didn't bring any in today. Uh, you know what? <laughs> well, the sense of smell is very important when you're talking about activating the five senses to get out of depression. There's, we've talked about that before. but And now 
you got a new, a cool new project. And I guess this would give you a chance to talk about the guy that you went to work for after you got out and then maybe before you went in, but you're working at Fox Run Golf Club, right? I am. I am uh, the, the new assistant general manager. Where's that at? Eureka. Eureka. Oh, cool. Uh, yes, Jeff Budjevich and a couple other guys purchased the course back, closed on May 17th. Oh, so this is new. This is a new Yeah, thing. we started blowing up the course actually on Monday. So renovating all 18 holes. It's going to be an unbelievable, Whoa. unbelievable experience I out mean, there. I mean, if you want to talk about full circle, <laughs> you were incarcerated in a tiny little cell. And now you are at, in my opinion, arguably one of the most beautiful golf courses in the state of Missouri. Yeah. And just in the middle of nature, no commercial real estate within miles of that place. Yeah. Like, I mean, what's it uh, called? It's called Fox Run Golf Club. Fox Run. Uh, I would say God is good because. Yeah, and, I mean, I honestly have to thank you for getting me out there because you joined back in 05 mm-hmm. or 06, and I was getting ready to join another club, and you said, whoa, whoa. Don't do that. Come out here because mm. there was a big junior member push, and so I went out there and joined Sight on Scene, and that's how I met Jeff Budjevich. He and I became good friends out there. Him and my parents and my brother and sister, and of course my kids and their mom, got me through what I've gone through. Jeff is like an older brother to me. Apologize for if I get emotional, but um, you're good, man. Okay. He he has he has basically saved me. He hired me. When I got fired, he put an unbelievable amount of faith in me when everybody said, what the fuck are you doing hiring this guy? He put his trust in me. Yeah, and and now he's moved me. I fought for it a little bit, but he's moved me to Fox Run. And, I mean, shit, I work at a golf course every day. Right. That's awesome. And to watch, to be able to be there, to watch the inception of the of the new idea that he's brought in and, you know, I'll be there for when the new 18 opens, and it's going to be one of the best, if not the best, golf destination sites in the Midwest, I feel like. That's awesome. Oh, I've always been a fan of the place. It is, uh, it's phenomenal. And I've always thought that since, you know, I started going there in the late 90s. And it's really cool how, you know, we talked about this earlier, like, you know what, man, everybody makes mistakes. Nobody's perfect. You you did your time. And now look at Look at what's happened due to, obviously, you had to have some grit to get through jail. You had to have some perseverance, you know, uh, realize that, you know, you've accomplished a lot by getting through that. I mean, yeah, you had to do it and nobody likes it and it was uncomfortable. But to be able to go to a place like Fox Run every day, man, that is, uh, that's amazing to see where you've come since, what, January of, what was it, 2021? Yep. Yeah. God works in mysterious ways. Incredible. What definition of that? No doubt about it, man. It's uh, it's a testament to yourself. It's a testament to your family, people like Jeff who are around you. You know, nobody can do it themselves. No. Nobody can do anything. It's all about the people around you. You're only as good as the people around you. And I think that your case may be a greater example of that than anybody else. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah and thank you for that. sharing all that with us, man. Thanks yeah, for thanks absolutely. for getting into detail and letting us ask those you know, feel like I could hard talk questions in here and for shit. Hours. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. I mean... Um, we, we really were happy that you would come and join us and, and like Brandon said, get into those details. And, you know, I, I called you the, yesterday and I told you that I, I wanted you to leave the podcast feeling good about it. And I think, you know, you talked about some things, you were honest, people are going to learn, you know, kind of what you did to get through all of it. And that's, that's the whole point. We're just trying to help other people and yeah, what they're and doing if, every day. If somebody's ever in my position, I want to help, you know, 
there's people out there, and you know my attorney, my my new attorneys have called me in once or twice to talk to a guy that's getting ready to go in. I want to be that guy. I want to be that phone call to help with guys that are going to be in my position. The fear of the unknown is unbearable. So to have somebody to talk to that's been through it is is huge. So uh, yeah, if there's anybody out there, please reach out. Michael knows how to get hold of me, but yeah, for sure. Certainly, yeah, you can reach out to us at Street Smart. You can reach out to uh, Fox Run if yeah, they need absolutely. to find you. Yep. But Peter, if can't could, thank you enough. Quick, so yeah, yeah, I just want to give a shout out. My kids and their mom. She is my kids' mom is a brick wall. She nothing gets to my kids without going through her first, and she was huge in the last two or three years. Raised those kids unbelievably well. Not my oldest daughter, National Honor Society, works her ass off. Just a super good kid. She's like a second mom to my son. Uh, she's unbelievable. My middle daughter is a beast on the lacrosse field. She's going to be meaner than shit when she gets to high school, and I love that about her. She's a super teammate. The coaches love her because she's teammate, team first, her second, and uh, I love that about her. And then my son is a knucklehead, but he is a miniature me. And he's going to be, he says, the next Steph Curry. For If you ask him this week, next week it might be the next Yachty. But he's super into sports. And my their mom, my wife, has done an unbelievable job at raising those kids. And I've tried to do my part, but she's done an unbelievable part. So. Thank you for letting me get that, get that in. Of Absolutely. course, man. I mean, uh, kudos to you, man. You turned a horrible situation into, I would say, a much uh, more successful situation now. And, you know, like I said before, man, nobody's perfect. And, um, you know, we, we really appreciate, appreciate you coming in and uh, just sharing with us. Thank Absolutely. you for having me. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, yeah. guys. Come see us next time on Street Smart. For uh, my partner, Brandon McNamee, I'm yeah. Michael Wellington. Thanks, guys.